Good morning. Good to see each of you. And if you're our guest, we welcome you. I was able to meet a few guests this morning, and it's great to have you with us worshiping uh, our Lord Jesus Christ together. If you th- I want to thank our children and Carrie also for leading them over the last couple of weeks to lead us in worship in such a sweet and creative way. So thank you. And then if you are a child and you did not get one of the handouts designed for you, can you just raise your hand and Heather will make sure you get sort of a basic coloring page. And if there are leftovers, then the adults can have one. (laughs) And we can even give you a little old school box of crayons, right? We, we, We grew up calling them crowns. But crayons, I think, is the, the right word for them. And while she's handing those out to uh, our children, open your scriptures to Genesis 2. We have been taking the first Sunday of every month to focus on our children as much as we can. Uh, it's, it's, it is a challenge to take an entire sermon, uh, a shorter sermon, and, and focus it right down on their level. But that is our desire because we as a church believe it's important for our young children to gather with us on one Sunday a month, and we have chosen that to be the first Sunday of the month uh, when we observe the Lord's Supper, because Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you're actually, it's like preaching, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And we believe it's very important for our children to see the confidence or the faith that parents have placed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin and the, and the hope of eternal life. So that's why we gather together on the first Sunday of every month. In this series of sermons, we're looking at what the Bible says about who we are. And young people, I want you to understand who you are. Out of all God's amazing creation, and I love God's creation, I love animals. I love trees. I love plants. The rhinoceros, one of my favorites when we lived in Africa for 12 years was the hippopotamus, an incredible creature who is an herbivore but will not hesitate to take out what is in its pathway to the water. And that's why hunters believe there should be a big six included with the big five, which are lion and leopard and elephant, cape buffalo, leopard. Uh, Then you get also the hippo. But do you know that you are created differently than them? God breathed His breath of life into you, and it says that He made you in His image and likeness. There's something about you, unlike anything else in all of creation, that images God. Genesis also answers where we're at. Yes, we're on the earth, but this isn't just a natural earth. There's also a heavenly realm. A matter of fact, the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So yes, there's a very real and beautiful natural world, but there's also a heavenly spiritual realm as there will be when we get to the new heaven and the new earth. Really what our focus is today is what went wrong. Because I think even you as a young child can understand that something's not right in this world. Other children, including yourselves, can be mean. There's bullying. 
Even in homeschool and Christian school, there can be bullying, right? Depending on how many siblings are, are studying together. There's hate, there's selfishness, there's disobedience. Why is that the case? Because if the earth that God saw was good, and at the end of Genesis 1 and 2, He said it was very good, then what's not good? Something's not good. And the Bible answers that. And of course, then the final question is, how is it going to end? Because it doesn't really end, but, but how is it going to turn out and what's next? And here's the beauty. God has given to us His Word, 66 books that really are a single story. They're not a bunch of different disconnected stories with a moral lesson telling you what to do. Yes, they include some of that. But it's really one entire story that goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation, even in some of the texts that we heard Maria read for us this morning. That there is a beautiful place that's coming. If we could start the slide presentation. This is what our focus is this morning. I want to make it simple. Three trees. If you look down at your handout, I have copy and pasted onto that page three different trees. I also love maps. Maps tell stories. The changing borders reveal conflict. Last, earlier this year, we were traveling from Armenia up to the country of Georgia, and we came up on one side, and we were still in the country of Armenia, and yet Google Maps that we were using and tracking with showed us that we were actually in the country of Azerbaijan. This is to the north, away from where the recent conflict was. But the maps are constantly changing, and yes, maps reveal stories and opportunities and adventure, but they also reveal a tension among peoples as these borders continue to move. If you look at the Bible, if you just look down at the Bible or the one that's in the chair in front of you, just look at that as sort of a large-scale map of what God is doing and the questions that He provides for you. It's a large-scale map from Genesis to Revelation. I also love gardens. In Kenya, in British East Africa, uh, people would invite us over to sit in their garden. And as an American, I would think, why would we sit among tomatoes and cucumbers? And No, a garden is simply a beautiful place, what we would call a, back, a very nicely landscaped backyard. It's a garden. Do you know that God, when He originally created Adam and Eve, placed them in a garden? Do you remember that, what that garden was called? What was it? The Garden of... The Garden of Eden. Eden simply means delight. I love going to the zoo. Yes, for the animals, but do you know that the zoos, like golf courses, are some of the most beautifully landscaped places if you stop and look around? You've got all kinds of birds and wildlife. This is how God created He made it good. And the Bible is a story about humanity, but also about the earth. God formed Adam out of the dust or out of a soft lump of clay is sort of the, the, the Hebrew idea there. He formed him out of the ground. Now the ground, after something went wrong, starts to work against Adam and Eve. The ground no longer produces like it used to in the Garden of Eden. 
Now there's thorns. Now he's got to work it harder by the sweat of his brow. Eden is important because it helps us understand what went wrong with the human race. I also love trees. One of my favorite trees is the baobab tree. It looks like it's upside down and its root system is on the top. There's all kinds of different baobabs. These baobabs are found on the west side of Madagascar, which they call the eighth continent, which is part of Africa, but not really anything like Africa. It's really its own country. I love palm trees. I love weeping willows. It's a very sad tree. Baobabs, acacias, oak, aspen. This was the peak of the aspens, I've heard. Many people went up to look at trees. Trees are important. God made all kinds of trees, but there are three trees that will help us explain redemptive, and that means what God did to forgive us of our sin, redemptive history. Here's the first tree, and it will be the second one on your handout. The tree of life. It comes as a surprise, but God made available to Adam and Eve His gift of eternal life at the very beginning. And it doesn't seem like one bite of the fruit, and the Bible talks about the fruit of both trees, gave someone immortality, but it did seem to extend life indefinitely. Genesis 2.9 says this, The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit in the middle of the garden so that no matter where Adam and Eve would go in the Garden of Eden, in the middle of the garden He placed the tree of life. And that's that second second tree down on your left side and you want to just fill in the tree of life. And life, young people, is a gift. And there is a crafty enemy of God who will whisper into your ear on occasion that life isn't worth living. Or that life is not good. Or that life is not a gift. And the truth is, life is a gift of God. And right there in the middle of the garden, there is the tree of life. But the first tree on the left side, there's another tree. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the second tree. And this tree presents a choice. Adam and Eve would have to decide how they would build God's new world. How they would take dominion over it. How they would subjugate the rest of creation. How they would develop and extend the blueprint that God gave for them in the Garden of Eden. Would they build this world God's way and honor Him as Creator King, would they build it their way? See, this tree is not really about its fruit. Eve saw that the tree was beautiful to look at, but there were many trees that were beautiful. She saw that the fruit was delicious, but there were many delicious fruit trees. We already read that in Genesis 2.9. But Satan came along and deceived her into thinking that she could become like God. You know what he forgot to tell her? They already imaged God. Out of all creation, they were already the most like God Himself. And so really, the only thing they could learn is look at the second word. 
They already knew good. God created all things good. The only thing they could learn was the evil. It's an incredible place Adam and Eve find themselves in. To flourish under God's rule forever with life eternal or to choose death. Because listen to what God said in Genesis 2, 16-17. If we could have the next slide. I guess I forgot to include this verse. Let me just read it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. You see how clear that is? So there would be no confusion. This choice represented by this tree was very clear. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely... And what's the next word? Die. There had been no death up to this point. There was the opportunity of life with the tree of life. So what did they do? Would they choose the joyful submission to God as king? Or would they choose independent action? To sort of take the crown off of God's head and place it upon their own head and determine to try to be better rulers than Him. Well, as the story develops, a snake enters the garden. A creature that they were supposed to have authority and dominion over. A creature which they did have authority and dominion over. And yet Eve enters into dialogue with this creature. This creature is in rebellion to God and now he wants to lead Adam and Eve into rebellion, which is one of the definitions of sin. Sin is the breaking of God's laws. In this case, it is the breaking of God's singular prohibition. Thou shalt not do one thing. Out of all the other trees you may eat, and you may have joy and contentment and peace and life, but of this one tree you cannot eat. That's the choice that faces them. Life or death. Genesis 3, 6-7 says that she ate... He ate, then the eyes of both were opened. We talked about this word nakedness being an idiom. It's the idea of shame. It's the idea of now they realize how vulnerable they are. They realize how weak they are. And death has now been introduced with all of its fear and terror and shame. Adam and Eve ate from the one tree God placed off limits. Let me read to you Genesis 3.23-24. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And it's not so much about the garden and the trees and the fruit and the rivers and the beauty. What the garden represented was close, intimate communion. Or maybe we would use the word friendship. That friendship with God as He walked in the cool of the morning. And all of a sudden, they are told to leave that place where they had that close, close friendship with God. He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And He placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to what? 
to guard the way to the tree of life. That's interesting. The way back to eternal life for humanity now is not simply difficult. It's impossible to do alone without death. There has to be a kind of death that extinguishes that sword. It's interesting how then in the Old Testament how the cherubim have appeared. Some of you already know this, but on the Ark of the Covenant, this was the piece of furniture placed into the Holy of Holies, a place that only the high priest could go one time a year. That on the lid of that, as a reminder, were two cherubim with their wings touching. Cherubim were also used on the temple veil. They were embroidered on the veil as a reminder not to go beyond that veil. Kind of a hint back to the garden that there is no access to the tree of life. There is no eternal life without the death of something. Exodus 36-35 says, He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And Exodus 37-7 talks about this piece of furniture with its design. Verse 9 of Exodus 37, the cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the, this beautiful picture, the mercy seat. That's where they would apply the sacrificial blood on the mercy seat. All these pictures are pointing you to a rescuer redeemer, the hero of the story. Why did God pre- prevent access to the tree of life? Why couldn't He just say, you know what? Just stay in the garden and keep eating of the tree of life as well. Can you imagine the sadness? To live indefinitely, to live eternally with evil and shame and disappointment? Can you imagine living with the temptation and the, dis- and, and the hurt in relationships? you imagine living indefinitely with the communion between you and God broken? Between you and your wife, you and your family, you and every other relationship you have broken? Can you imagine living indefinitely with things like Cain killing Abel? Or even only you, you only get to Genesis chapter 6 where it says that every thought was only evil continually? Can you imagine living forever in a world like that? Do you know it, was, it is God's grace to, 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 if you would, to push them out of the garden and guard the tree of life. You know what else is His grace? Out of those trees that are on your handout, one of those trees appears again later on at the end of the story. And it's the tree of life. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Do you know that the greatest loss, and maybe your parents can explain this to you later today, was not paradise. The greatest loss was the presence of God and eternity with Him. Sally Lloyd-Jones says this in her little children's book, God loved His children too much to let the story end there. 
end with the eating of the fruit, to end with the curse. God loves His children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that brings us to the third tree. The tree of Christ. So if the wages of sin is death, there is also a gift. And the gift of God is, listen to these two words, eternal life. Represented by, again, the tree of life. And that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. How does that happen? Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us. He purchased us. He bought us back. Like you sang this morning, uh, when I am lost, He will come find me. If there are a hundred sheep and one one goes lost, the Good Shepherd will go seek that sheep. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that's that final blank on the right side of your handout. Do you remember the cherubim? When Jesus Christ was hung on a cross, one of the great miracles that happened is found in Matthew 27:51. Just listen to this. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And the imagery there of this curtain that is blocking the, holy, the holiest place of all with the cherubim on the front being torn from top to bottom so there's no evidence that man did that. A miraculous tearing of the temple means now through this death the sword has been extinguished and through His blood you can now approach God once again. That's what Hebrews 10 says. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. And that brings us back full circle to the tree of life. Let me read to you two verses. Revelation 22.2 Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. So there seems to be a sense of time marking eternity with these twelve months even though we call it eternal life. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nation. Blessed are those, verse 14, who wash their robes. That's the picture of cleansing. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us, to wash us from all unrighteousness. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Through one man, Adam, all became sinners. Through one man, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, all may be forgiven. Romans 5.17 For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death, that's what's wrong, to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus. I want to invite 
Lloyd to prepare us for the Lord's Supper. And as he makes his way forward, I just want to ask our children a simple question. Will you be in that new city, that new heaven, that new earth? Because you are presented in a way with the same choice that Adam and Eve were. You, they were not to take the fruit of this one tree. You are actually invited to come and approach the cross of Jesus Christ and receive life. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's how important that tree of Christ is so that He removes the curse. And 1 John 2.25 says this, And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. How do you do that? You place faith in Him. It's a free gift. You believe. You trust in Him. What Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace, means you don't deserve it, For by grace you have been saved. Saved from what? From what is wrong. From death. From the curse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God invites you to approach Him through Jesus Christ. Through the tree of Christ. Through the cross whereby the curse that hung over all of us was removed by His death and His resurrection. Let's pray.